0: Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Uh, My name is Jess. Like Parker said, it's an honor that you would show up, especially if you're new with us today. Welcome, we're so glad that you're here. I think we can all agree that when we show up, especially on a snowy Sunday morning, (laughs) that we are here because our desire is to know God and to be known by Him. And I think if you're brand new in the house, maybe you're a visitor with us, I think that's your desire too, that you want to know God, and you want to be known by him. But we all know that there can be blockers to this relationship, am I right? There's a group of people in scripture called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees had a blocker in having a relationship with God. And there was a blocker because they knew about God, but they didn't really know him. They didn't really know him. So today we're gonna talk about being a witness For God rather than a judge in the name of God. You guys ready for that? We're gonna talk about being a witness for God rather than a judge, a judge in the name of God. Can't we do things in the name of God and miss it? We can do things in the name of God, for God, all the time and really, truly miss it. So, But the word judging can be actually hard to understand sometimes in the Bible because in one breath, in 1 John 4, it says to try the spirits. And then in Matthew 7, it says, judge not lest you not be judged. So here we have a word um, that in Greek is actually called krenos. Can you say krinos? I looked it up just to make sure we could say it right correctly together because, you know, I I didn't go to school for Greek. So um, this word in Greek actually in scripture means to separate and to approve. To separate and to approve. So this seems like complete complete. Different definition, definitions, am I right? <laughs> Two different definitions in scripture. So, we could go a lot of different ways in judging today, but today we're gonna specifically talk about how harmful and condemning judgment is not the biblical way of judgment. So, we're gonna focus hard on the harmful judgment and go, how do we move from being a harmful judger to actually a witness of God? Um, so, it's hard to understand this word because it actually has a positive and negative context. So the Bible will tell you not to judge people, but then it'll tell you to encourage through judging. So I'm going to put a word on the screen, and let's see what initially comes to mind, okay? Whether it be positive or negative. You guys ready for this? We're going to bring up a word. You guys ready? There it is, blew up. What came to mind mind when when blew up up came up? Anger. What else came up? I mean, I say blew up when I look at a friend and their business blew up, and I'm like, oh my goodness, their business blew up. <laughs> um, okay, what about the next one? Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, if you hear get out of here, and you're in your, um, in your, in your uh, what is it, your boss's office, that's probably not the best, right? Get out of here, you're fired. <laughs> or it could be, get out of here, you really did that? Get out of here, you really PR'd, get out of here. What about this next one? Sick. (laughs) Now, if you're in the um, 22% of people in America that were sick in the last three weeks, (laughs) you're visualizing head colds and coughs. I got my hot tea up here because I'm two weeks in of, of coughing and hacking, so welcome front row to, to, the, to the room today. Um, but, okay, where are my uh, millennials at? Um, because uh, my millennials, we would say, that's so sick. You know, that was the slang for that's awesome. <laughs> okay, you'll love this last one, <laughs> Taylor Swift. <laughs> Positive or negative, okay, let's, let's have a poll. Positive on Taylor Swift. There you are, okay, negative on Taylor Swift. There's my like, I need to see some football, I'm done with the romance, okay. Um, But how you think about a word or an idea will determine how you attach yourself to it. So in our culture, we find that when you talk about judging it's actually the latter that it comes across as negative in our society. So we're called to judge and failure to judge is not only irresponsible, it's actually uncaring. So we're going, okay, we're called to it. If we don't do it, it's uncaring to people, right? Like I love my kids so much, I love Parker so much that there's gonna be moments in my life with my friends that I call up people through a judging manner. But the issue is not if you should judge, the issue is what kind of judge are you? What kind of judge are you? So a biblical judge is helpful, and a critical judge is harmful. A biblical judge is discerning, and a critical judge is destructive. A biblical judge is spirit-filled, but a critical judge is self-serving. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, okay, whew. you know what? I lean more on the biblical judge than I do the harmful, critical, condemning judge. Um, stay leaned in with me, okay? Because we're all on this journey together, whether you find yourself mentally, physically on the 5% journey of criticism or on the 90%, we all have growth to do. So today we're going to lean into John 5. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and break them out with me. We believe here at Pinewood that the Word of God is the true authority of Scripture, the true authority of His words that He has delivered to us. I tell my kids all the time when we touch the Bible and look at the Bible and open the Bible. I'm like, these are God's words to us. Whew! God's words to us. We have it in our hand. It will change our life. So let's dive into John 5. We're going to see today that the harm that critical judgment brings and how we can move from being a condemning judge to a courageous witness. So again, today we're not talking about how we can be a judge that is helpful in building up. No, we're actually going to lean heavily into identifying what creates and identifying the condemning judgment that we carry inside of us in our minds and how we can be set free from that judgment. Okay, you with me? John 5, I don't know if I've actually ever done this before, but this is a very long passage of 18 verses, and we're going to read every verse, okay? You guys ready? So um, John 5, 1 through 18 says this. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches, crowds of sick people everywhere, blind, lame, paralyzed. They lay all over on these porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he said, would you like to get well? Well, I I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Can I just pause for a second? So when I saw the water bubbles up, do you know what this actually means, the water bubbles up? The angel of the Lord came down to the waters and stirred up the water for the water to be healing waters. That's not what we're talking about today. But when I studied that this week, I was like, wow, God, you're so cool. So he's awesome. Someone else always gets ahead of me, he said. So Jesus told him, stand up and pick up your mat and walk. And instantly this man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me, he told me to, he told me to pick up my mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man did not know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something else even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God the word of the Lord. Come on, all 18 verses. There's so much that we can learn from this passage, but really the whole gospel of John, I I know so many of you have been tracking with us and reading it alongside, and if you haven't, start now. We're six, five, or six chapters in. Catch up with us and dive into John with us, but in the whole gospel of John, we see the life of Jesus is on display, um, anyone who is a new believer, maybe that's you in the room, or you're learning more about Jesus, start in John, because the life of Jesus, when he physically walked the earth, is on display through John. So the focus for our eye is for our eyes to be open to see that Jesus is really who he says he is. It's the whole focus of John: to go, I am who I say that I am. I am here and I'm walking. His ministry on earth is taking place so. What we see is Jesus healed this man, and he called himself God. And then we see the Pharisees enter the scene. So well, the first thing that we see is the Pharisees judge. In verse 10 and 16, there was two ways that they were judging. First, they go, hey, this man, we're going to condemn him for picking up his mat on the Sabbath. Picking up his mat. They're condemning him and they're nitpicking and they're saying, this man is picking up his mat on the Sabbath. He can't work on the Sabbath, which I don't know about you. I, I do a lot more than that on my Sabbath. So they, I'm already with you guys like being judged this morning. And the second thing is they turn their judgment to Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. So first they're looking at the man and going, you picked up your mat. And then they're going, wait, but who actually did this work when he says he was healed? And they're like, well, it was, it was Jesus. So the Pharisees in this moment had an opportunity to be a witness of the miracle. But rather than walking in the opportunity, they were looking for ways to criticize. Do you ever show up in a space like that? You show up in a space and instead of looking for an opportunity to witness, you're looking for an opportunity to criticize. An opportunity to say, walk into the church building have an opportunity to say, man, why do we have so much smoke in here? Why is it foggy up in here? Why do they have lights going on this ceiling? Why are our coffee cups not bigger? You know, like there's so many opportunities, no matter where you go, to be a critic of work anywhere you go, whether it's your school, your home, your office place, your gyms, there's opportunity everywhere to be a critic. And really, the job of a judge is to find anything missing or lacking and criticize it till they're proven innocent. So here we find the, judge, the, the Pharisees in this moment, they're going, I'm not going to give up until I find everything wrong with this scenario. I'm not giving up. So they kept passing person to person to criticize what was actually happening in this moment. When we live to judge, we are living where everyone else is in the wrong all of the time until proven innocent. Can I tell you that that is a life of bondage? (laughs) That is a life that leads to anger, frustration, discontentment. And living that life, and the reality is you could be living that life with a pharmaceutical attitude in your head. And the only person that it's actually killing and harming is you. Um, Welcome to social media, right? (laughs) Um, Where your life is on display all of the time. Social media makes it so easy to see part of someone's life and conclude who they are with only seeing part of what's actually going on. What do we see? Maybe 0.5% of what's actually going on in people's lives through social media. Um, I have this video. Let's see if anyone can relate to this. I mean, he nailed it. (laughs) He, He nailed that landing. It's so easy to jump to conclusions when you're from the outside looking into someone's life. You know, people can come into this room since we're we're in church together. People can question, why do you have lights? Why do you have haze? And they have no idea the why behind it, but it's easy to criticize and critique it because you don't really understand the behind and what's actually going on. So I'm trying to stay um, curious as I get older. (laughs) Is anyone with me? You're trying to, because don't you think that we have to practice curiosity? Um, We have to practice actively being curious. And so as I get older, um, I'm trying to ask these questions more as I come into different places. How and why? How and why? Parker's the king of this. We could be crossing over a bridge in St. Louis, and he's like, how did they build this thing? I mean, anywhere we go, he's going, how, why, who, how? And so I feel so challenged every time I'm with him to go, I need to keep asking more questions. So when I think of this story, a man who had been sick and lame for 38 years, and these men come on the scene, and act on this man and really come on him where where there's such opportunity to witness and to celebrate what God's doing in his life. You know what first comes in my mind? What a jerk. (laughs) These jerks. Anytime I even hear the language of the Pharisees, I immediately think, jerk, what am I doing? I'm judging. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. But let's take a minute to actually understand the Pharisees. Has anyone ever done a study on the Pharisees to really understand why they are the way that they are? So when you think about the Pharisees, they are fundamentalist. Any recovered fundamentalist Baptists in the room? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> um, Matt. <laughs> We should start a club or something, Um, but they're. (laughs) Let's not do that. I feel like that—that in itself is harmful. Um, But they are fundamentalists. They're overzealous. They're hypocritical and they're judgmental. So the Pharisees really have emerged during the Second Temple period, and during the second century as a religious group, they're emphasizing this strict, this strict adherence to the Mosaic Law. Why? So they had gone through some of their deep, catastrophic moments through the Babylonian exile. And here they come on the scene and they go, we need to make such strict observance of the law to protect that this never happens again. So my, my immediate thought that connects with us what's happening actually today is what's happening in the war in Israel. And the people in Gaza and and what all, there's so much going on. But in my mind, during this Babylonian exile, the Pharisees rise up and they go, you know what, we're never going to let this happen again. And to make sure we never let this happen again, we're going to abide so much to the law that we can confirm and control that this never happens again. History says that it was about 600 lay people. They said, okay, we're going to gather together, 600 of us. And over time, they grew in their number and influence. Their desire was for God and that they would hold the high ground and be holy. They, th- th- what's so mind-boggling about the Pharisees is they, they knew God and they knew his word. Parker talked about this a few weeks ago, but they had memorized five books of the Bible. Anyone ever done that? No, they they knew the words of God. They knew him, but they were out of relationship with him. And they had this bad rap, but they started with great intentions. They started with these intentions to protect and to guard that which was holy and right. The problem was in their desire, wasn't in their desire for peace. They set up extra rules and traditions. The Old Testament had 613 laws to obey and the Pharisees added through that, through their oral tradition, 1,500 extra rules. Does anyone love rules? Melody loves rules. I do know this. Bless you, Melody. 1,500. You know, that's a lot of rules. 1,500 rules they added out of trying to do something good that turned harmful. So yet, yeah, as time goes by, there was always a drift and what was me- meant for good turns bad. So why? Because the Pharisees became about the traditions versus the heart behind the traditions. They, came, they, they got so swallowed up in the law that they actually missed Jesus altogether. So some of you are living in this condemning judgment mode in your mind, in your heart. You know about God, but you don't really know God because you've gotten so caught up in the life that is harmful, condemning judgment, and it has left you in bondage. There's so many different ways that we can judge in our world. There's so many different ways that we can put ourselves on a high seat to say that we are better than We are doing it better than we have more than there's so many different ways to put yourself on a stool. I know this because I know I made a joke about fundamentalist Baptist. That's because I'm healed, um, so I can joke about it now. But I grew up in church where it was more important to read the KJV only, to wear a skirt to church. It was more important to um, have your hands next to your side. It was more important to read the KJV than to hear from the Holy Spirit. I grew up this way in a church that was very law-driven. Now, they wouldn't have preached, hey, we're law-driven. But based on their actions and their attitude and their way, they were living in a way that was judgmental. And what it caused for me was years of healing and redemption to say, I don't want to live in the judgment seat that is harmful and criticizing and condemning. I wanna live walking into a room and seeing how God's working and seeing how he's moving and being a witness for him, testifying for him. So before you um, tap your neighbor, and start eyeballing um, your brothers and sisters in the room going, oh, so-and-so's a judge. (laughs) So I know so-and-so needs to hear this today. The reality is that some of us are so good that we've even given ourselves permission to judge a blessing on someone's life. This got me. (laughs) Um, We've we've gotten so good that we look at someone and say, so-and-so got a raise this week. God, did you see what they did last week? We've gotten so good. You blessed them with a house and a job. You blessed them with healing and not me. I've been in the prayer closet for 25 hours this week. I don't know if they've ever prayed. We've gotten so good at holy judging that we've turned it around to make everything condemning and judging the work of God. So some of us are judging our sisters and brothers and how they talk and really even how you prioritize days. How, you parent, how other people parent their children. I mean, there's countless ways in which we find ourselves judging. Maybe when I'm saying some of these things, there's just like things popping up that even maybe you are judging this week. Is it a life-giving feeling to judge? No, but we get stuck and we get trapped in it. Something that's started good and helpful, maybe something that you have identified can quickly turn bad, which is exactly what was happening to the Pharisees. So condemning judgment brings harm by these ways. One, it tears down who the person is. Condemning judging is tearing down who the person is. In this moment, this lame man that's that's getting up and picking up his mat and walking in this moment of healing and they're coming in and they're con- immediately when this man is meeting Jesus, they're condemning him for something he is doing. And in an opportunity that they get to fan the flame of who God is, they're condemning who he is. Two, it creates busy work <laughs> condemning judgment when spoken publicly creates busy work. This is what the man had to do. The lame man, he walks up, the, the Pharisees walk up, he has his mat and the Pharisees go, well, who did this? The, the man goes to the temple to find Jesus. It creates unnecessary busy work. He goes to the temple, he finds Jesus, and then he's like, oh, you're the man. I need to go tell them now that you are the man that healed me. Not for the sake of celebration, but for the sake of more critical and harmful judgment. Man, don't we find ourselves here often? Gossip could be a good word that is attached to this. We find ourselves in circles, wrapped up, judging. Did you see so-and-so? Did you see how they showed up? Did you see how they parented? And you know, put a prayer stamp on it so you can feel like you can justify it. Can we pray for so-and-so because this is happening in their life? We do it with our spouses. Man, that is something, a culture that we have committed in our home and in our church that we will Always honor there is much to be said about many people all around the world in our circles there's much to be said about people but we have said we don't have time energy or mental space for that it's not what we want to put our mental space to it's not what we want to put our energy to because it creates busy work what it also does is it brings disunity it brings disunity so something that could start out for good ends bad. And what's happening on this scene is re- the, the lame man goes and finds Jesus. Jesus is like gone and disappeared, right? Like <laughs> Jesus' MO disappears through the crowds. <laughs> I love Jesus so much. And what it creates in this moment is disunity between the man who is healed and the Pharisees. Judgment creates disunity. But let's just take a shift because healed people witness healed people witness in verse 15 the man went and told the jewish leaders that it was jesus who had healed him he said jesus is the one he is the one who healed me so this man had been healed by jesus he could have easily began to judge the he could have switched the judgment (laughs) he could have said jesus healed me He could have easily gone and judged the Pharisees for how they were treating and condemning Jesus for working on the Sabbath. But instead, he decided to go and be a witness. He showed up to the Pharisees and he said, Jesus is the one who healed me. So it takes me to this thought to go, man, he was the one that was being a courageous witness. He was being courageous in his witness. So It takes me to go, then how do we move from having a condemning spirit of judgment to having a courageous witness, to being a courageous witness in every space that we're in? Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. Um, I remember when me and Parker first started dating. (laughs) Um, well, before we started dating, we knew each other through college. And he had dated a girlfriend of mine. I had dated a boy, not a boyfriend. Boys don't say that. Boys don't say a boy friend of mine, boy, a guy friend of yours. Um, and we had double dated. Well, um, him and his girlfriend had broken up, and I was friends with this girl. Well, you know, naturally, um, she had not lovely things to say about Parker. <laughs> So, I uh, came home one summer to college, connected with her, and she had just gone through this heartbreak, and I'm, like, consoling her, and um, she's just dogging Parker. So, in my mind, I placed judgment on who Parker was. True story. Like, this is, like, true story. Um, In my mind, um, when I was going to see him next, because we were friends, like, I had measured him up to just being this scumball. (laughs) Um, (laughs) scumball, that's definitely a millennial term. Um, And I had measured up who he was so much so that I was going to keep my distance from him. I wasn't going to like hang out in the same friend group. I'm like, I don't even want to get close to someone that's going to treat my girlfriend like this. So years later, probably a year or two later, Parker reaches out to me um, through uh, Facebook Messenger, (laughs) also known as, um, what's the dating app? hinge. That was hinge for our day. Okay. That that was our version of hinge. Um, and he reached out and my initial response was like, no way I'm not getting, I'm not getting with him. We're like, not even like coffee, not giving this guy a time of day, but Um, I ended up giving him a time of day. We ended up going on a run together and I was like trying to get like a group run to happen because you know, like I'm not gonna be one-on-one with it, ended up being one-on-one. And it was like the run that changed our life because what happened in this moment was I actually got to know more of Parker's heart and Parker's story. And it broke barriers that I had created because I was judging him. So then, yes, of course, like the second, like our second phone call was like, I just got to know, like you just got to set, you got to set something straight. (laughs) And, you know, then I was able to talk to him and actually hear his story and get things straight. So when you know, when you get to know the people you're judging, you ask good questions and you realize that everyone has a story. You take a pause and you say, I'm gonna actually really get to know this person and their story and ask good questions and remove the condemning judgment to actually walk in freedom to be a courageous witness to them. So I think of the working mom that, you, um, that you've that you always been looking at and judging that she. I'm a working mom and not a single mom. And don't really have an excuse for this, but I am this mom that I'm late to school, and um, sometimes my kids forget their lunchbox. But maybe you have been judging that mom that is late to the school pickup line or forgetting their lunchbox. Their kids are coming with two different colors of socks on. And really, what? and you've been judging from a distance, man, she just needs to get this together. And if she would just do this routine in the morning, and if she would just do these things, it probably would really help her children be set up for success a little bit better. And then when you actually start asking questions and you get to know them, and you go, oh, man, she lost her husband two years ago. Oh, man, she's been single parenting oh man, and you start to actually understand the story, then what happens is you switch to being a witness and a courageous mentality with them, and you go, I actually can be a part of the story to help and to serve. So let me tell you, if you're in the Jesus business, you're in the people business. And if you've been healed by Jesus... And if he's done a work in your life and you have a testimony to share, then you can be a courageous witness with other people. Because if we're in the Jesus business, we're in the people business. No matter what you do, where you work, or in your neighborhood, in your schools, you're around people all of the time. And we always have opportunity. We have opportunity to be condemning, or we have an opportunity to be a witness. This is why um, when you're in the room, of people of that are similar to you so we go to conferences we love conferences around here and we'll show up in these rooms and we will sit with other pastors and leaders round tables and they'll do these lunches where there's 50 60 people in the room and there something happens in that room like when you're in a room with similar people and you know oh they also have kids you know they're they were church planners and they've led a church like your guard just gets let down and you're like okay We get each other, like, differently than most people. Like, we understand what you're thinking, what you're feeling, the weight, the surrender. We get it. We get the late nights because the kids and all the different things. And when you're in similar rooms with people, whether you're an athlete um, and you're in the room with other athletes, they're similar to you. And therefore, you're not really sitting in those spaces as much judging, because you're going, I get their story. I get how long they worked to actually get here. I get how hard this injury is for them because I know the journey of an injury. And what happens when we are in these similar rooms, our guards get let down. But the reality is, When you start putting yourself in different circles, in different places, people that don't look like you, people that don't sound like you, the Pharisees walking in to a place where there's hundreds of lame men laying around. You start walking into spaces of people that don't look like you, don't sound like you, don't have the same pains as you do, don't have the same stories, backgrounds as you. You automatically give yourself permission to begin to Judge, and so this is, the, this is the story of Boulder. When we moved here, we heard all about the Boulder bubble. We heard all about the, the Boulder bubble has certain political views, the Boulder bubble has certain family views, job views, all of these different views, but the reality is what I'm currently learning and listening to is understanding that people are lonely and isolated. I've read several articles lately of people going. Um, I moved here to Boulder for the community. They pride themselves in the community, and once I start building relationships with people, I just feel so lonely and isolated. Why? Because people say, "Well, you just you you just do you you just be you," but then if they let their guards down. Judgment begins to happen. So this is where the opportunity for the church comes because we have to be a people in the Jesus business, a people business that say, we're gonna be courageous witnesses for Jesus. We can not be; we can be courageous witnesses in the same circle. It's a lot harder to get out of your circle and show up in places with people that don't look like you, sound like you, eat like you, smell like you, their past is not like you. And get in those circles of people because that is where the opportunity to be a courageous witness comes in. We get to be a courageous witness. So. Just yesterday, we were at Ryan's football game, and we're standing there with, like, heaters, (laughs) like a fire pit and, like, three heaters, hot hands, like, clothed like it's the middle of January, and we're all trying to stay warm, and we had just shown up. We set everything up, and Parker's going, does anyone have a lighter? Like, I forgot my lighter. You know, Parker's always prepared, so the fact that he's looking for a lighter was like a miracle in itself, and so he shows up. We're looking for a lighter. And my friend next to me, Cash, she literally stands there and she goes, no judgment. No judgment. Does anyone have a lighter? Why? Why is she giving this? Because any other day that you're asking someone for a lighter, why are you asking for a lighter? Yeah, girl, you know. Um, So they're asking for a lighter because they want to smoke, usually. Usually. Maybe not as common in Boulder, but this is happening in this moment. And I'm going, this is exactly what happens. When judgment, when you remove the judgment, when it begins to benefit you. In this moment, she's going, no judgment. I need a lighter just to light my fire. Any other time in this space, we're asking for lighters. She said that because she knew what happens in those moments. In those moments, you're asking for a lighter and you're judging and you're condemning and you're criticizing, immediately measuring people up. And so we have an opportunity to actually encourage and challenge and be a witness in a culture of judgment. The moment it benefits you is the moment that you disregard all criticism the moment it benefits you. Ultimately, this shows that the only goal of condemning judgment is to benefit you, to make you feel better about yourself, your pride, your stature, your health. There's so much good God is doing in our community. There's so much good he is doing here and in Boulder. Let's be a witness for God instead of an advocate for judgment. What could have been corporate unity quickly became corporate division. And that's what happens in these moments of judgment, even yesterday, where she's trying to go, no, 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 everything's fine. We can keep everything, everything's fine. No judgment if you'll just give us a lighter. Because you know what happens when you begin to judge is disunity. Romans 14, 13 says this, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. A stumbling block. An actual stumbling block. So how do I be a witness instead of a judge? I want to challenge you in three things. Instead of pushing away, I'm going to lean in. Instead of pushing people away, I am going to lean in. To people that don't look like me. To people that don't act like me. To people that don't smell the same. People that don't eat the same. All of these things. I'm not going to push those people away. I am going to lean in and then instead of assuming i'm going to ask instead of assuming i am going to ask and lastly instead of gossiping i'm going to pray instead of gossiping i'm going to pray and not praying in the name of judgment (laughs) praying in the name of testifying what jesus is doing how he's working What's so beautiful is that Jesus redeems. Can you say that? Jesus redeems. He redeems. It's what's so beautiful about our Savior. He takes what is broken, takes things that are full of shame, takes what is full of judgment. He says, I'm going to restore what was broken. I'm gonna redeem it. I'm gonna redeem the time. I'm gonna redeem the energy. I'm gonna redeem the mission. I'm gonna redeem the witness. I am a redeemer. Rob Bell says this. If you wanna see God, then you will see God. If you don't wanna see God, you won't see God. If you wanna see God, you'll see him. If you don't wanna see him, you won't see him. And I believe you're here because you wanna see God. You wanna know him, you wanna keep building a relationship with him and hallelujah, what a savior that he redeems. I can think of many instances this week that I caught myself in judgment, judging someone else. And I, I, like, I just didn't even like the feeling And I want to go and I want to show up and lean into people's story and give people's story an opportunity and chance to also be a healed and courageous witness for God. And we as the church, when we stand here and we stay here and we stay huddled up because it's safe and it's comfortable and we don't branch out and reach out to people that are different, that look different, man, we will forever miss it. I wonder... If the Pharisees knew that the man carrying his mat had just been healed, I wonder when they showed up on the scene. I wonder if they showed up on the scene right after he was healed and just caught him carrying his mat. I wonder if they didn't know that he had been laying there for 38 years, having no way to get in the bubbling, stirring water of healing. And they show up on the scene right in time to bring in the holy laws to condemn him for moving his mat on the Sabbath day. Man, we catch ourselves here all the time. We don't see the big picture. We don't see the whole story. And therefore, we come right in time just to see that mama late, just to see that, that grown-up who's having a hard time keeping his job because he's full of alcohol and addiction. We show up on the scene in people's stories just in time that we don't see the whole picture. But as a church... What if we show up to people and we begin to say, you know what? Jesus redeems all things. He heals all things. He restores all things. I don't want to come up on this scene just in the middle of someone's story. I want to show up and say, I want to know the whole story. I'm going to ask how, I'm going to ask why, and then I'm going to come in with a testimony of Jesus because I have been healed, I have been redeemed, I have been restored by Jesus, and I get to show up on the scene and offer what has been given to me. Jesus is Redeemer. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.